Howdy, podcast listeners. Have you ever wanted to bring the winery experience home? With Somley, you can. Now get the very best Texas wine shipped right to your doorstep. Somley features many of the highest quality small production wines you won't find in retail or restaurants. Check it out for yourself. Sign up, discover, and shop local today at Somley.com. Welcome to This is Texas Wine. I'm Shelley Wilfong, a wine educator, writer, and Texas wine enthusiast. On this podcast, I share Texas wine news, interview the most important people in the Texas wine industry, and bring you the information you need to be a more informed Texas wine drinker. Thanks for joining me on this Texas wine journey. This is episode 52. Sergio Quadra, Director of Winemaking at Fall Creek Vineyards, is my guest today, and this year marks his 10th harvest in Texas. He's been working in wine for even longer in his native Chile. We always start off with how Texas wine is appearing in the news. This time we've got results from a recent wine competition, a profile of a Texas winery, and another article about some of the ways that Texas wineries are doing business in a sustainable manner. Listen for these details and more. And you'll want to stick around for the end when I give out demerits and gold stars. Whether you're a regular listener or joining in for the first time, welcome to This is Texas Wine. The San Antonio Express News recently ran an article, William Chris Wine Company Founders Strive to Grow Texas Wine Industry's Reputation. Contributing writer Richard Webner gave an overview of the William Chris Wine Company. Remember, that was created from the merger of William Chris Vineyards and Lost Draw Cellars about two years ago. The combined company now has about 134 employees, and they're hiring, by the way. And they're planning a new tasting room in Johnson City and another in Kingsland near a large vineyard it acquired. The article opens up by posing the question, why would you go to all the effort of selling your Texas-made wine in New York if you didn't make much money from it and there was plenty of demand in your home state? And Chris Brundrett said, We sell wine in New York and in different areas where it isn't necessarily incredibly profitable. Our company invests a lot in the growth of that national recognition. It's important that we're in those markets, that we're going to some of those tastings, that we're presenting our wines so that people can start to identify with them. Because there's nowhere else in the world where wine tastes like it does that's grown right here. Now, I'm paraphrasing, but he's saying that Texas wine doesn't and shouldn't taste like it's made anywhere but Texas. Now, I've heard the same sentiment from a lot of podcast guests, and I've heard it from Kim McPherson, who hasn't been on the podcast yet. But I've heard it from Regan Metter. I've heard it from Ricky Taylor and others. Chris Brundrett also said that he can buy land in the Texas High Plains for $2,000 an acre, but in the Hill Country, land is $80,000 an acre. In Forbes, Claudia Alarcon recently wrote the article, How Climate Change is Impacting Winemakers in Texas. Her article tells how Texas wine brands have found unique ways to produce, adapt, and support sustainable winemaking. Her article includes William Chris Vineyards and notes that they use a specific type of cork that has a negative carbon footprint because of its ability to sequester carbon. It also talks about how Lost Draw Cellars has implemented several initiatives to try to become more sustainable. That's things like making decisions around bottle shape and method of shipping. And they also now use 10 capsules to top their bottles, and they use lighter glass to reduce the energy it takes to make and transport bottles. They've also recently introduced a new 100% curbside recyclable non-toxic packaging made from paper and cornstarch, and these are efforts to minimize their carbon footprint. Spring Revival Wine Company in Dripping Springs is mentioned. They're trying to use as little water as possible and also developing a spray program that's eco-friendly. Ricky Taylor of Altamarfa out in the Texas Davis Mountains mentions his eco-friendly practices, including mulching, using sheep in the vineyards, that's both to mow and to fertilize, and also using a bush training system that encourages good airflow and decreases disease pressure. 
They also plan to dry farm once their vineyards are established. And you can hear Ricky talk more about Altamarfa and their vision and history. That podcast came out in May, and it's a good one. The 14th annual San Antonio Stock Show and Rodeo Wine Competition was held earlier in October. They judged over 875 entries, and there were 55 Texas wineries that entered. The big award there is called Best of Herd, and it is awarded to the Texas winery, which has the greatest percentage of wines receiving the highest number of awards within their total number of entries. And this year, the Best of Herd award went to Abastris Winery. They also won Best of Show Red with their 2019 Abastris Tanat from the Texas High Plains. The Best of Show Texas White was the 2020 Hilmi Sellers Roussan Reserve from the Texas High Plains, Terry County to be precise. The Best of Show Rosé went to the 2021 Ron Yates Grenache Rosé from the Texas High Plains. And the Best of Show Sweet Wine was awarded to the 2021 Sister Creek Vineyards Muscat Canelli from the High Plains. Congratulations to all the winners. Save the date for the 2023 Texas Wine Auction. Last year was the inaugural Texas Wine Auction, and it featured amazing chefs, top-notch auction lots of special Texas wines and more. And this event, of course, raises funds for the Hill Country Hospitality Industry Healthcare Services, and it also supports education and research through funding and endowment at Texas A&M AgriLife. Well, mark your calendars now because it's back, and it will be on April the 29th in Fredericksburg. William Chris has already signed on as a partner. And the first chef's locked in, too. She's Angie Reagan of Salt by Angie in Lubbock. Wineries and businesses that want to get involved should message auction at texaswineauction.com. And one last time, make plans to join me at the Dallas Farmer's Market on October 28th for the Texas Harvest Wine Tasting. Listeners can get $10 off a ticket using the code TXWINEPODCAST10, and I'll see you there. Now, this next little bit isn't really news, but just some fun I've been having by tracking down a few of the unique wineries and vineyards that make Texas wine so much fun. I recently found out about the southernmost winery and vineyard in the state. It's called Bonita Flats Farm and Vineyard, and it's in Los Fresnos, They've got Blanc de Bois planted on site that went in in 2017, and they recently planted some Walker variety vines as well. They also have a cafe and a market for people to buy fresh produce. So that's the southernmost winery and vineyard in the state. And this got me curious about the other extreme vineyards and wineries in Texas, either in terms of their ordinal position or some other unique feature. So I did a little bit of research and turned up a few more wineries that are the most something or other. I've had the pleasure to meet Stephen and Pamela Yoder of Yoder Cellars, and they make wine from their estate vineyard, Vingo Vineyard, in Dalhart, Texas, which is up in the Panhandle. And I happen to know that they've got the northernmost vineyard in Texas. So be sure and check that out if you're anywhere near Dalhart. But if it's not convenient for you to visit there, you can also try out some of their wines at Vintner's Hideaway in Fredericksburg. Of course, we've talked on this podcast that the highest elevation vineyard in the state is planted at the vineyard at Blue Mountain out in the Texas Davis Mountains. Mara and Dan Sharp and their winemaking partner, Ben Calais, are responsible for that vineyard. And finally, I ran into an Instagram account that's called Hell's Half Acre Vineyard, which claims to be the hottest vineyard in Texas. Their Instagram biography says, 2,700 feet elevation near Big Bend National Park. Texas's hottest vineyard, Terralingua, Texas. Y'all help me out with the westernmost and easternmost wineries and vineyards. Or if you have another extra unique winery to add to this random list, let me know. Find all of these stories in the show notes at thisistexaswine.com. And that's the Texas Wine News. Thanks to all my new podcast newsletter recipients. They're getting first dibs on the tasting room passes that I plan to give away regularly. My most recent passes are to the Hill at High and French Connection Wines. You don't want to miss out on freebies, behind-the-scenes stories, and the like, so sign up for the podcast newsletter. Visit thisistexaswine.com, then click Newsletter Sign Up. 
and I'll continue to share great opportunities via email, so it's never too late to sign up. Cheers, y'all. And now for our interview. Sergio Quadra joined Fall Creek Vineyards 10 years ago, and what a difference he's made in Texas wine. Sergio came all the way from his native Chile to Texas to make wine. That someone with his skill level and professionalism would join the Texas wine scene was surely a signal to the rest of the world that Texas was a place to watch. Listen as Sergio shares how he got to Texas and why he thinks Texas is a fantastic place to grow grapes and to make wine. Well, I'm excited to have an opportunity to chat with you because this is an important year for you, your 10th harvest in Texas. How does that feel? Well, time flies. Let me tell you that. Um, yeah, it's uh, still feel like I just got here. There's so much to do, so much, so much to learn. I'd like to start even before you got to Texas and ask you about your life in Chile prior to coming to Texas. What were you doing? Well, I uh, started back in 1994, right off from, from college. I, um, I got an interest in, in wine. I, I love the fact that, uh, that it's something that still depends on uh, people, you know, uh, different people, different results. You've got to use your calculator a, a lot, but, but there's also decisions that are made only by tasting, which is far from being a calculator. Um, so it uh, started in, in 94. That was, that was one year in, in, a, in a winery, the big winery, one of the big wineries in Chile. Then I moved to another closer to the town where I was living. Um, and then uh, I spent the next almost 10 years in this massive winery or company called Concha y Toro. Uh, it's, it's the, I mean, by far the largest in Chile, several facilities, a huge group of winemakers. Uh, probably today, they, it's, it's not less than 30 winemakers in that company. So a great, a great school to be in, so to speak. Um, lots of resources, lots of access to, the cutting edge technology. Um, back in those days, you know, I'm talking about late '90s, early th- 2000s. Uh, the Chilean wine industry saw a, a an amazing growth uh, over 20 years. Uh, it grew 20 times um, in, in exports. So we were seeing plantations going. Every year, more more acres uh, added, uh, more tanks, bigger wineries, uh, more equipment, etc. So it was it was very uh, uh, interesting times to be in because because there's there was a lot going on down there, uh, and still still is. Um, so and then uh, that big winery, uh, I think I had enough of it and uh, uh, moved to to smaller operations uh more like one winery one wine or one winery one family of wines um and uh a little more direct contact with the with everything you know uh in conchidoro you 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 are in your department a huge department but only doing one thing or two things um all the time so uh i wanted to explore uh, you know, what happened in, 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 in a more varied uh, uh, part of the industry, so to speak. Uh, so I moved to, to another winery called Calitera, uh, which was the winery resulting from the joint venture between uh, Robert Mondavi and the Chatwick family of Chile. And this is back in the late 90s uh, when all these merges or, or joint ventures were, were created. And, and then... Uh, I stay there. Then I moved to another winery called Anakena, where I had the chance to hire uh, Paul Hobbs uh, as a consultant, and he was the one connecting me to Fall Creek. So that's that's why I mentioned that was the the link that allowed me to to be contacted by the Allers, Ed and Susan, 
uh, and this is already 2013. And um, and and when when I uh, consider the the idea of coming here, did Paul Hobbs know much about Texas wine, or what did he say that got you interested in the opportunity? Well, uh, uh, Susan asked Paul in the first place. They, they were looking for a winemaker, and um, they knew each other for years. and And she sent him an email uh, about you know the fact that he might have known uh, somebody, somebody young <laughs> to, to come to, to, to their operation. And uh, prior to that month pr- prior, I had a conversation with, with Paul and I said, well, if, if you, if you ever had, you know, any, any request for going abroad, uh, think that I, that I could consider that. And so he had me like, like in his head, I guess. And, uh, when that email came, he said, well, what about a Chilean? And, uh, and the other said, sure. I mean, why not? Let's, let's see. And we started back, back then we started Skyping. That was the, the way to communicate. And, uh, just pretty much like today's zoom or, or, or that kind of app. And, uh, a month later I was here for, uh, to see what was going on. When you mentioned to Paul that you would be interested in going abroad, were you thinking United States or did you have something else in mind? Well, knowing that he works all around the world, uh, that could have been anywhere. Um, nah, now, the, the <laughs> I, I certainly didn't consider Texas to when, when, when we were talking. Um, I frankly didn't know anything about Texas uh, wine. Uh, I didn't know they grew grapes here uh, to begin with. And uh, when he mentioned, I said, well, let's, let's see what, what's going on, what, 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 what's happening there. And turns out a lot was happening. Yeah. Absolutely. What do you think it was that Susan and Ed were looking for um, in particular and a new winemaker to come in? They wanted someone that was young, but what else? <laughs> yes. Um, well, I think they, they, they thought they needed somebody that, that would bring them just, just, uh, out of the box background, um, maybe to steer things up a little, um, bring some experience to, to the game, uh, to make a, a next face in their, in their winery. Uh, with somebody that you don't necessarily need to teach things, basics things, you know, basic things. Uh, I guess that that was the purpose. So yeah, I never, I never thought about Texas as a as an option going abroad. Uh, I didn't know. Uh, I wasn't aware of of what uh, Texas was doing. Turns out that it, it was a lot going on in in Texas uh, when I came, and I I I just felt. Like it was, you know, starting to burst, so to speak, just like Chile was in the mid '90s. So lots of similar phases of growth, of of exploring the markets, of, of exploring varieties of winemaking techniques, etc. So um, I felt like going back in time, uh, in a in a way. Um, because the Chilean export market was very small. It was only in late 80s, it was it was $20 million of wine exports. And 20 years later, like I said, it was $1.2 billion uh, of exports. So that, that was the kind of growth. That's 60 times growth over 20 years. So, so imagine the, the, the activity going on every year. Uh, I haven't seen that same growth here in Texas, but um, but it, it's still those. I feel like it's early early stages where where everything is is kind of uh, being uh, cooked to 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 attack the markets and and be uh, a known wine region at one point. 
take me back over the past 10 years and what you see as some of the highlights, either wines you've made or awards or obstacles you've overcome. What have been some of the highs and some of the lows? Well, uh, I would say that um, uh, the everything happens at a faster pace during the growing season here in Texas. Um, you know, we, we have a decent winter, um, and, uh, by that, I mean, it's cold enough. So plants go dormant and they lose leaves and, and they, uh, uh, they, they play their, their cycle normally. Uh, then they butt break in the spring. Uh, but that's when they just really speed up compared to other regions. So you, we end up here in the hill country, especially um, harvesting in, in August. Uh, so that's that's five months after butt break. Uh, sometimes it's it's the middle of July, so that's even less time. And um, uh, so so you got to adapt to to that uh, the season being shrunk, and also the 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 harvest itself it's 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 in a in a much concentrated time uh in in a cooler region it it all happens over two months or or even more uh, here it's only one month uh so everything needs to be uh adapted to to that faster pace uh so that's that's the main one of the main differences uh for i mean what that you encounter uh, once you're here in Texas. Um, so, but other, I mean, other than that, and, and to be honest, I thought that that was a limitation. Well, in, in a way it's a, it's a limitation from the operational point of view, but it's not a quality limitation. Uh, we can still, uh, make the wines we want to make, uh, and uh, it's just a matter, uh, as always, to finding the right spot uh, for for your vineyard, um, and uh, and so you you kind of work around the burdens that that Mother Nature throws at you, uh, but you can still get the the potential from from those sites. I'm glad you brought that up because when we chatted last time you were in Dallas. You helped expand my thinking around how I've been talking about Texas wine and maybe asking questions of people about the challenges. And over and over again, we're talking about the challenges. But you said Texas is a great place to grow wine grapes. And so I, I loved hearing you give a, a scientific explanation of why. Do you remember that conversation? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, look, the, the the one thing I... I, I, I try to stay away from is blanket statements that say, oh, for this reason, we get these wines. Um, and, and, and by that, I mean, for example, because we're high or because we're close to the ocean or because we have this kind of weather. For example, uh, it, it is uh, a mainstream thought that if you can hang your fruit longer, due to a cooler weather, you're going to get a better wine, you know, because uh, in some years you can hang the fruit, you know, a few more weeks and, and that apparently that's going to allow you to make a, a better wine. So if that was the case, you know, um, there wouldn't be wines, inexpensive wines coming from those regions. And so it it would be all, you know, high end or or at least uh, not not as inexpensive as as they usually you know uh, are in 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 some of the wine ranges. So no, that that explanation is not good. Um, and um, so it all boils down to the specific place that the vines are planted. And you know they have done a lot of research. To explain, for example, and you can think how much the Bordeaux region has been studied. Um, like, why is it that those more renowned regions within Bordeaux are, you know, somehow better suited for for grapes like Poyac 
or Margot or Saint Emilion, and, uh, and and they're so close soil origins. You know, they're 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 very similar, the same soil origin, but still, Poyac can make better wines than, let's say, all Medoc. Um, so uh, the 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 only the and the best explanation that they have so far is that those areas have the ability to give just the right amount of water to those plants at the right time. So, because it's not like uh, it's different minerality in Almedoc versus Poyac, which can be almost 100 yards apart from each other in, in some areas in the border. Uh, and uh, so... Um, it's 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 the specific plant water relation that 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 allow the winemaker to have that you know premium fruit that applies everywhere in uh, France in California in Chile in Texas so um, and that that's precisely why in Europe where they don't irrigate. They have so many, so much variation between harvests because they're they rely on rainfall, and rainfall by definitions are random, and so sometimes the, it, it rains just enough at the right time, and that's a great year. And some other years it doesn't rain as as you know perfectly, and um, and, it, and those are challenging years. And so when you go to the new world where uh, we can't rely on rain to have a sustainable farming or sustainable viticulture because it's, it's just not enough rain. Um, we have to irrigate, and that gives us the chance to apply the right amount of water at the right time. So, and actually, it's it's interesting to 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 see what happens uh, when you over irrigate on purpose to see what happens you know uh before variation after variation right before harvest or you know make it make a dry period before harvest etc so so all those tests have been done and uh and, and and compared to those great years of of great rainfall in 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 europe and turns out that that plants uh and, and I'm going to give away a secret here. <laughs> um, so plants can have all the water, almost all the water they want in, in general uh, before voration. But after voration, they need to they need to look for water. They need to work hard to get water. So um, a, a dry uh, post voration, which is technically where plants, I mean, the grapes start ripening. Uh, and this is when the, the grapes turn color from green to, to red in the case of red grapes, um, which which is uh, two-thirds or maybe three-quarters into the season. And um, so after variation, like I said, uh, plants need to work hard to get water. And for a very simple reason, um, they they have leaves working to get you know energy, and uh, if that energy goes to more leaves or more shoots, well, guess what? That that's in, at the cost of grapes, and uh, so the plant need needs to um, switch from working for more leaves and shoots to working for the grapes, ripening the berries, ripening the berries, and. And when they feel like water is not in endless supply, they they do that switch. They they convert. I mean, they they change their. Uh, it's called the sink. So the sinks are are uh, changed from the leaves and and the shoot tips to the clusters, and you see whole vineyards just not growing, which is what you want. Um, and then you know that everything that the leaves are working for 
are the clusters. And, uh, and, and, and that, then you have a, a good chance to, to, to have a good crop. You have to throw on top of that or, or below that, if I may, um, you know, a, a good crop size. I mean, you, you don't have to be over crop. Of course, the uh, uh, health of the, of the vineyard is a must. So that's a, that's a platform that you need to stand on to, to even consider uh you know trying to make good wine um so uh so those are a given thing other other things but but the the plant water relations it's what explains quality quality levels in in different vineyards and uh and and that ability or that um uh possibility is present here in texas now Another layer of of if you're going up in quality, it's it's the soil origin, and, and that's another thing, of course. And it seems like uh, soils with higher pH or, or in the in the uh, alkaline side of the pH, so above seven, on those soils, plants plants respond beautifully. And and here in the hill country, and in, in Texas in general, uh, uh, it's rare to find acidic soils here, except maybe in the Davis Mountains because it's volcanic. Uh, I, I have no idea what, what's what's like over there in terms of that uh, feature. But here in the hill country, it's you know pHs are around eight, uh, sometimes even higher. So plants seem to just react to that differently and uh and so that's a that's an addition to uh to what we're we can achieve by you know having the right water at the right time so that that's that's an incredible asset that we have here in in the hill country i, I remember back in chile if you find a, a soil that contains limestone i mean it it was it was a treasure Mm-hmm. Okay, and 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 a a, a a winery owner or a viticulturist would would go and but secretly buy that lot and 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 plant vineyards there. So it, it's that scarce. So, so there's no limestone there, and whenever it's found, it's something okay, like like unique and and uh, and very so, sought after. Here, I mean, we build buildings with limestone you know like like it's it's everywhere it's we're sitting on limestone here in, in the hill country especially the south part of the hill country and uh and, and if we can if we want to throw more uh diversity well the north part of the hill country is granite based another good thing so um it's it's just amazing um one one very interesting fact about uh texas I think you you talked about or somebody talked about in your in your podcast before about uh, TB Munson getting getting uh, rootstocks from here mm-hmm. and saving the industry worldwide. So, well, he when he was collecting material, he came to the hill country to collect materials, you know, wild grapes, uh, because he thought that the soils here were similar to those that he needed to plant vineyards in Europe. So imagine that. And, um, and, and, and European vineyards have known this forever. You know, uh, it, it does matter where you plant your vineyard. You know, that, that's why Bordeaux became Bordeaux or the Rhone or all, all the places is, 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 I mean, they, they had the rain and all that, but, but the, the, the actual places that they plant their vines is is the key. So they knew that. So Munson knew that, and he came to the place, the closest, the the most similar place to 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 um, collect rootstocks. So so they, he he would have better chance of them working over there. So anyway, uh, my point is, there's a great potential here. Imagine the hill country as big as it is. I mean, there's endless opportunities here. Uh, to to grow, we we just need more, need more grapes. We need more people planting grapes uh, in the hill country and elsewhere in Texas. Um, 
so so we can have a, 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 a ever growing base of, of wines. I want to talk about you working with growers, but first I want to ask you to say a few words about why the heat and the sun in Texas also mm. leads to quality. Right. So um, that that was one of the things that uh, uh, surprised me. Uh, I mean, when I first came here, uh, before I came, I, I looked at weather information uh, from the internet, and and I thought, man, this this is going to be hard. Um, and and us working in the, in a cooler region. Now I know that Chile doesn't have hot places <laughs> compared to Texas. Uh, so working at cooler regions, a region where uh, a heat wave can be damaging, a heat wave of 95 degrees for a couple of days, especially close to, uh, I mean, during the, the ripening season, uh, can be very damaging. Okay. And, and you can see plants showing all sorts of heat-related symptoms, uh, you know, spoon-like uh, uh, leaves, burnt leaves at the top, especially at the top of the canopy, uh, shriveling berries, scarlet berries, uh, all that kind of thing. So, and, and you don't need 100 degrees to do that. You, you need 95 degrees per, for, for two days. And uh, so when you consider that, that, that experience, you, and you see the, the weather information from Texas, where basically you have a couple of months of 100 degree weather, uh, well, the only the only conclusion for that is well, it's impossible. I mean, and I, and I thought uh, when I came here first, I was going to let them know why it was a bad idea to grow grapes here, you know, because <laughs> it was too hot. So, by the contrary, when I went visiting vineyards, I saw just regular, normal-looking vineyards, shiny uh, green colors shoot tips that should have been dead by by then they were growing and and uh completely normal i even thought okay i'm gonna taste this heat in the wines nothing happened i mean it, it the so i started uh thinking about this and um and i was mind boggled by 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 this fact that that uh those those two experiences didn't didn't match and then, uh, well, doing a little reading here and there, uh, found that plants, not only vines, well, they have these uh, genes in their DNA that are called heat shock genes. And these genes are triggered by raising temperatures. Uh, so, so they're just dormant and they stay dor dormant when, whenever the heat is not there. But they are triggered and they're activated with the heat, and they express heat shock proteins. And these proteins, uh, which, by the way, have uh, I've read somewhere that that there are more than forty different kinds of heat shock proteins, or which means forty different kinds of heat shock genes. These proteins protect the the the, the their job is to protect or repair even. Um, uh, molecules that otherwise would be damaged by uh, extreme temperatures. So that's why you you can have plants here in Texas in your garden, actually, that go through the entire summer. You know, you just need to water them, of course, and then they go back to the winter where, where they can survive. A, a, you know, the, those freezes that we have here, um, and, and and do it all over again in the summer. So. Uh, so uh, vines are not a uh, are not exception to this, and and uh, and guess what? Uh, connecting the dots. I mean, when you think about this ability, you would say, okay, that these these plants, if they're prepared to endure uh, uh, the kind of summer that we have here, well, they they may have endured this in the past. You know that that's why they have it that that there's a reason for them for, for, for those genes to be there in the first place. And when you connect that to the fact that they, uh, Vitis vinifera, the species that we use to, to make these wines is coming from the middle East. 
So the, the, the origin of, of Vitis vinifera is the Middle East. Uh, you know, Eastern Turkey, Southern Armenia, Georgia, uh, Iran, Iraq, that, that area is where vines were naturally growing uh, without any intervention way before human beings were around. So I, I checked what was the weather like uh, 10,000 years ago in the area. And you can do that. And, um, and, and it, it seems like it's been a desert, the desert that we know, for thousands of years. So there you have it. I mean, vines, vines were used to those conditions way longer than we thought, originally thought. And they just had to come here to a place where those conditions, you know, were present to just unfold whatever they had, you know, hidden there in their DNA for a long time. And, uh, and that's, that's, that's what I think it happens here. And in fact, I, I have talked to um, people in universities about this, particularly uh, UT, where, and this is another story, but um, we have uh, been connected with, with UT and now uh, NM and Texas Tech. And this is, this is a, a, another podcast uh, you know, theme for you, uh, the, the, the Texas Wine Institute is going to be the next thing, I guess, I wish that, that really takes the, or it's, would be another help for the industry to, to lift off. Uh, imagine the three universities combined and join their efforts into, into putting science to what we can say, or we can, what we can have. And maybe going back to your your the conversation we had, what I really want with this university link is to be able to uh, to show the wines, explain what happens here, but not only with my guessings, you know, my whatever I can mm-hmm. come up with, but with scientific uh, uh, backing. You know these these findings. So these heat shock genes and heat shock proteins thing, it's currently being studied here uh, at UT. We we took samples of plants back in 2018 already. Uh, they have stored that in this massive minus 80 Celsius degrees freezer to 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 keep studying these these plant materials that that we collected, and uh, we're following with with the wines. So it's been it's been very very interesting to, to add science to to what we have here, so we can really show the world that that it's not just us talking and, and trying to have a another sales pitch, you know, to show people. But we're going to have scientific papers published, you know, that that we can uh, uh, base our 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 pitch on, you know. So when you came here. Did you immediately go start meeting with growers? I'd love to hear about some of the first people you met in the Texas wine industry. Uh, yes. Yeah, so, so Ed and Susan at Fall Creek, uh, you know, had been working with, with growers for a long time. One of them was the Salt Lake Vineyards. So we met with Scott Roberts, of course, and, and Jay Knapp, uh, uh, and then lately uh, with with Garrett, um, great people, amazing people, uh, beautiful vineyards. Lucky because they planted their farm, and guess what? It was great. You know um, th- those those uh, soils in the driftwood area here, where we are, where where, where I am right now, uh, are just great. Uh, deposit from from the onion creek over over hundreds of years and a great place to to grow grapes and then uh, of course we went uh, and the, i think the next day i met with uh, alphonse dotson and and martha uh up in boca uh, in between lano and brady there in the makula county awesome people you know uh very, very fun to work with. Uh, very, very approachable. All everybody welcomed me. 
formerly I felt like 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 being at home here with with new friends instant instantly. And Alphonse has uh, when I say about granite and limestone north of the hill country and south of the hill country. So Alphonse is right on the on a on a sand mine, mm. um, granite granite based sand sand mine. So it's very interesting what happens there with that vineyard. Uh, if we remember talking about water, well, he needs to water three times more than the same vineyard in the in the southern part of the hill country um, because the sand is just so so good uh, drained. Um, so so he needs to water way way more than than anybody else to just keep the plants you know just fine, uh, not even uh, getting more growth necessarily. So it's very very interesting places, and and over over the years, uh, you know, more more growers have have added to the to the portfolio. Uh, Howard Kells uh, has the the only, if not the only, one of the only uh, vineyards in mm-hmm. Austin. Um, uh, Mouvedre that that we make from from him, small small vineyard, very very nice. Um, and lately, uh, Dennis Eakin. Another grower, but not not in hill country, just just north of the hill country in Killeen mm-hmm. area, um, with uh, another very interesting set of of, of vineyards there or, or varieties. So the the industry uh, it's it's small, uh, like it is small in the world. I mean, you know, so Texas is even smaller in, in that regard, um, but very very. Uh, fun people, great, great people, talented. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's another asset of Texas for sure. I think maybe you were the first, at least the first to come from so far, but now there are a number of people coming to participate in the Texas wine industry sure. from all over the place. Yeah, for a good reason. A lot of opportunity. Absolutely. Yes. I'm going to I I ask I'm going to ask this again in a different way. Are there things over the past 10 years that you're particularly proud of? Uh well, I I I really don't believe it or not, I really don't like to brag. <laughs> um but um I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm happy with what we're doing, uh, showing if, if, if what we're doing is helping it, you know, somebody else to, to kind of even think other, other things out of like thinking out of the box, um, both in terms of the wines themselves, but also because it's important what we say about the wines. What what how we present the wines? It's it's another a very important thing. You know, it's it, you can have the same wine um, shown to people, and it it would it would differ the way they perceive that wine depending on what you say about the wine. And it's not like you have to talk lies or or things that are not exactly right, but it's it's a whole different thing if you are kind of apologetic about our conditions, for example, or our burdens. Uh, oh yeah, we have freezes. Oh yeah, we have um, you know hot weather. Um, well, uh, one thing I learned from from being in a in a far away country like Chile was that you need to you need to be proud of what you have here and uh show who you are plainly but also be very clear about the potential that that you're uh exploding here and i think that's that's what we need to to do more of to to show people to to tell people that that the amazing combination of things that we have here uh, and not just well for Texas this is such and such. No, uh, I, I think I think that that I mean, uh, frankly, I don't know if I s- said this or not, but Ed Aller says that I said it, and he says that I said <laughs> I didn't come here to make great Texas wines. I came to make 
great wines, period. Like I said, I don't know if I said it that way, but but I agree with that. Not for me, but 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 that's what we should be doing. Like 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 making great wines, period. And that's why I always like to be tasting blindly against benchmarks. Uh, we know we're the newcomers. You know, we know we we are the, the the underdog, of course. And so, one way to break through. Uh, and 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 break those preconceived ideas is just compare and and taste side by side. There's a there's a school that says no, you can't do that, you know, because you th- their wines are uncomparable. Uh, I said, well, let's compare it anyway. Uh, I, I can I can see that that a, a wine from from a certain place, very specific and very unique, is always going to be that unique, but still. There's a there's a quality level that you can match with your own identity, with your own uh, you know nuances, but knowing that you are the uh, relatively uh, same same level. So that's that's something that that we need to a, a thing that we need mm-hmm. to explore more, and uh, and, and that's that has been one of the things that I've been doing, uh, other than making wines, of course, is is to to you know show people show show buyers critics uh and 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 customers that we're serious about and 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 all these elements that are combined here are a blessing and and we're mm-hmm. exploding them. absolutely some winemakers in the world have made a career out of becoming what I might call a traveling winemaker. I know for when we've talked about Paul Hobbs and his website says that he's navigated producing wines globally, engaging annually in two harvests in nine countries. And he's done that for 40 years. Is that lifestyle appealing yeah. to you at all? Uh, I don't know. Uh, good question. I think Paul, I mean, you, you've, First of all, you have to have the the talent of of uh, you know combining a lot of skills in one person, and and Paul has that. Um, so, uh, but on the other hand, he he is consulting in those many regions and, and actually, actually he consulted for us so I, I know how that is he has his, his his own wineries as well one in argentina one in california of course and i think he has some interest in in europe um i'm not sure but um he he does it like not on a daily basis of course you know he he runs the ones he runs not even get his daily uh, involvement. He goes there, tastes the wines, instructs people what to do next, um, makes the blends, which is the fun part, and the the part where he gets to be paid mm-hmm. the big bucks, you know, um, and uh, and then leave. So. And on the other hand, like I said, the the the, the daily winemaker gets to to really follow their child's from birth to to you know a, a, a adulthood uh, all the way. It's a it's a different um, it's a different uh, level of involvement in in your own stuff. Um. I like the traveling part, though you know. But um, but it, it's it, I guess it's it's two different two different uh, jobs, very very mm-hmm. very different because uh, the level of involvement that he can can only have in, in in one of the I mean in some of the some of the places that he consults for, um, yeah. Yeah, good. Um, in the next ten years, I want to ask you, what do you want to do more of? And what do you want to do less of? Uh, well, you know what? I would love to um, explore 
those new varieties that are coming from uh, UC Davis, the ones that are Pierce's disease tolerant, you know, the uh, varieties, uh, it's a, another, another reason for, I mean, that, that I loved about, about the whole industry um, is that, um, you know, we're making Cabernets, Sauvignon Blancs, the Tempranillos, those varieties were selected hundreds of years ago. I feel a lot of respect for the people that selected those varieties. Imagine 200 years ago selecting varieties and and being able to to came up come up with a variety that would last centuries uh, because their ability to perform you know good at the vineyard level, which requires a lot of years to realize that, and then and then performing the way they do in the winery, which also requires a lot of time. Uh, so imagine what it takes to, to select a good variety. So I was, I was uh, with all our knowledge, um, I was, I've been surprised by the fact that, that no new varieties have come into place, uh, you know, over the years. <clears throat> There's a lot of new equipment for the wineries, uh, you know, new implements for the vineyard, uh, but no, no new varieties. And and I think that Andy Andy Walker, um, he's a very talented guy, and I am convinced that he did a good job in selecting the grapes, the the, the grape varieties that finally made it to the final stage because i know it it's a it's a it's a long process of trial and trial and error discarding the things that didn't work and i bet that with all the knowledge that we have today and all the requirements that that modern winemaking modern viticulture and winemaking have today he did a good job and i bet that those varieties are going to be, uh, you know, very good. I have tasted already a few examples, and and I'm I'm more than encouraged by by them, and uh, and so I, I'd love to to explore more with with those varieties, which accomplish two things. Uh, one of the burdens is Pierce's disease. Here we all know that we need to live with the with the disease. Which implies, I mean, for for the consumer, that that implies uh, a lot of replanting every year because eh, some plants are going to get the disease, and um, and and so it's it's something again that that you have to live with. Um, but these new varieties, being tolerant to PD, uh, would would allow us to to kind of forget about that, or you know, just to keep that in check, but also to um and this is something to do with with what we say about the wines uh it's a it's a good challenge to not have just another tempranillo not have just another cabernet not have just another sauvignon blanc this is going to be a texas thing a hill country thing you know when when you grab a bo- an expensive bottle of of french wine you don't get to see the varieties. You 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 see the name of the place. So imagine in the future people going for the Texas Hill Country wines, period, or the Driftwood wines, period, uh, or the whatever Dripping Springs or Fredericksburg. You know. Um, so what's in those wines? It it's something that we need to define, and that's open. You know. And, uh, and that's, that's interesting. That, that's, that's, uh, challenging. It's, uh, attractive for, as a winemaker, you know, and, uh, I want to, I want to be involved in that process over the next 10 years for sure. That's great. Anything you want to do less of? Um, uh, well, wine related thing. No, I don't think so. I, 
another thing I like about this is is how the dynamic it is. Sometimes you're in the office in front of your computer. Sometimes you're tasting in the winery right from the barrels. Sometimes you're in the field feeling the heat, uh, in the cold, you know. So no, I, I, I love the I love the, the cycle, the complete cycle. Sometimes showing the wines to people and, and uh, getting complaints or, you know. <laughs> Answering questions from people yes. that are just trying to understand it all. Right, right. Well, I want to ask you one quick um, question to finish up, which is that a couple of years ago, we were on a, on a uh, virtual wine tasting together with the State Fair of Texas. And I had asked you, and Ed was there with you, and I said, what did Ed say to get you to come to Texas and you mentioned that you were excited about the possibility of giving your kids an American education. Uh, so I wonder what it's been like for you to raise a family in Texas. Yeah. So, of course, I, 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 it was a big change for, for the whole, whole, whole family. Uh, I have five kids. Um, and uh, uh, back then, 10 years ago, so the oldest was turning, just turning 18 and the youngest was five. So that five-year-old, uh, now I know he's thinking in English and, and speaking Spanish, of course, uh, with us. Um, but uh, he, he's a total gringo, so to speak. <laughs> uh, so, no, it, I mean, I can't complain. Uh, my wife is happy, so that's a big thing. Uh, the kids are happy, uh, even though I thought that it was going to be harder for the teenagers when, when they came. Uh, they were excited. Well, these in these days, you, you can still get contact with, with your old friends through the you know, technology. Uh, it, it's not like, like it used to be, that you leave uh, a country and you just, you know, uh, erase that almost. Um, we've been... Uh, uh, going back a couple of times. Um, so no, for them has been great. Uh, I have, uh, I'm already graduated A&M and, and Aggie. I have a, se a second Aggie and I have a, uh, Raiders. Uh, it's a red Raider, red Raider up, yeah. up in the, in Lubbock. Mm -hmm. So still in two, two in high school still, um, uh, so, yeah, no, it's it's been great. It's, been it's great. wonderful. Well, I know Susan and Ed content, uh, consider you family, so I'm glad to know <laughs> that everyone's uh, yeah happy. No, they've been they've been great. Yeah, Ed and Susan have been a, a great support. They 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 have been with us every step of the way, so to speak. Yeah, great. Well, anything else you want to mention? I hate I've taken up a little extra of your time, but this is just too good. Oh no, no, pleasure. Uh, well. No, I just I just think that that we have a uh, an amazing potential here in Texas to to really uh, become a a respected, well known wine region in the world stage, and 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 and, and I'm not exaggerating. Uh, I, I really mean that. So, uh, and I'm glad to to see uh, lo lots of parts in the industry you know the academia the the the, the vineyards uh, wineries etc and and media working together towards towards that so i'm i'm really happy to to be to be here well i'm glad you're here i can only imagine what your friends your winemaking friends in chile thought when you said you were heading out for the texas wine country <laughs> well they had the same doubts as me like what Texas. Yeah, yeah, I know. Well, yeah. uh, someday I want to talk to you about where I should go in Chile to experience oh. a wine region because I've never been always yeah. wanted to go. Well, for you and for listeners, uh, if you want to go to Chile and visiting wineries, especially those small wineries that no one gets to see, let me know. Okay, uh, maybe you could lead to... a trip. Well, yeah, sure. Yeah. All right, happy. let's do it. I'd be happy to it. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Sergio. I was pleased to hear from Ed and Susan Aller, co-founders at Fall Creek, about Sergio's many contributions. Ed recalled the same story that Sergio mentioned. He said, upon becoming winemaker at Fall Creek, Sergio said to me, I'm not coming here to make great Texas wine. 
I'm coming here to make great world-class wines, which happen to grow in Texas. He says, Sergio is exactly in step with our vision for Fall Creek. In his 10 years here, he has resoundingly accomplished the goal of putting Fall Creek wines on the world stage, as evidenced by the many international reviews our wines have received. Fall Creek celebrated Sergio's 10th harvest with a special Chilean-inspired dinner on October 14th. Cheers to your next decade in Texas, Sergio. And now it's time for a Texas Wine Gold Star, a belated gold star to the wineries that won gold medals at this year's Grape Fest People's Choice Awards. Grape Fest is the largest consumer-judged wine competition in the nation, and one cool thing that they did new this year was introduce some VIP sessions that allowed people to mix and mingle with the wineries and, of course, taste wines and vote on their favorites, but with fewer people present. I hear it's a great addition to the program, so keep that in mind for next year. Messina Hoff and Landon Winery led the pack with four medals each. And these were the other golds. For white wines, Dry White, Whiskey Road Winery Viognier, Off Dry, Messina Hoff Tribute Series Riesling, Sweet White, Messina Hoff Angel Late Harvest Riesling, White Blend, Silver Dollar Wineries Impeached, Winning for Rosé, Silver Dollar Winery Impaired, and on to the Reds, Light Red, Messina Hoff GSM, Medium, Landon Winery Tempranillo, Bold, Landon Winery The Texan, Sweet Red, Texas Legato, Eyes of Texas Sweet Surrender, and finally, Red Blend, Blue Ostrich Winery's MTC. Congratulations. Thanks to all the listeners who visit the website and buy me virtual Texas wine. Your support means I can do things like upgrade my podcasting equipment and cover my monthly expenses for hosting the podcast. Podcasts are always free to listen to, but they're not free to produce. Get in touch. Please send your feedback, questions, or ideas for future episodes. You can email me at texaswinepod at gmail.com. And don't forget to follow my social media handles at Texas Wine Pod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Then comment and share because that really does help find new listeners who are interested in Texas wine. Thanks to Texas Wine Lover website for promotional assistance. Visit TXWineLover.com to help plan your next winery visit. I'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Cheers, y'all. Cheers.